Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. It's Kaylin Shear here. I'm sitting next to my business partner, Dylan Evers. And we are looking forward to providing you with some information and knowledge today through our podcast series, Extra Extra Read All About It. So we are here recording episode one, and I will let Dylan tell you what's in store. Sure. So episode one, we're just going to do some introductions and kind of just tell about our business, who we are, what we do, and why we love music and the oboe. So we are 21st Century Reads, and we are based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Go Steelers! Woo! (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, so we founded this business really to enrich the community around us and provide um, good education on just the oboe and read making it what it is, why reeds do what they do, why they sound the way they do, why the history about them. Yeah, and, and also yeah. to provide a service for all of you guys right. to be able to provide you with another outlet to be able to purchase the supplies that you need to further your reed making career and your oboe career. So uh, we're looking forward to diving in. So why don't we just take a quick break here and we will start. My name is Dylan Evers, and I was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, I started playing music in middle school. Uh, That was just about the typical time that when all of us students uh, picked a musical instrument and joined the band. So I first started on the trumpet, and I was really terrible, you guys. I played it for about a month, (laughs) and uh, even to this day, I cannot play uh, a brass instrument. I can't buzz into a mouthpiece of a brass instrument. I, I just can't do it. So after that month, my band director was like, yeah, we need to change instruments. And so he changed me to the clarinet. And that's when the pieces really just fell in place. Um, I really didn't have to practice much. And I was playing a lot of music. And it just it came very naturally to me. And, and that's when I kind of realized, oh, I think I kind of have a nag for this, possibly. Yeah. And um there's just, I think there's just some raw talent there. That's just what a lot of people told me. And I was like, okay. Um, in the eighth grade though, so a few years later, I heard the oboe on the radio and I wish I could tell you to this day what the piece of music was on the radio, but I don't remember. I just remember hearing the oboe and I had no idea what that sound was. We didn't have an oboe in our band. Interesting. Yeah, no one played oboe. And I researched it and I started renting one from the local music store just because I honestly, I just fell in love with the sound of it. It was very beautiful. Um, However, when I first started, I did not sound beautiful on it. I (laughs) sounded like a dying duck, like we kind of all do when we're first starting to play the oboe, right? Yeah. yeah, and I didn't have a private teacher either, so I was teaching myself a ton of bad habits, um, a yeah. lot that I had to break through um, my college studies. Oh, and they're so hard to break. They were very hard Maybe to we'll break. do an episode about breaking bad habits. Yeah, for sure. And so throughout high school, um, I eventually got a private teacher, and he helped me learn the actual fundamentals of how to play the instrument correctly. And he introduced me to reed making as well. And he really helped prepare me for college. Okay. So I attended Wheaton College in the suburbs of Chicago. I did my bachelor's there. And then I went on to uh, Pittsburgh, where I'm at now. And I went to Duquesne University and studied with Scott Bell. 
and uh, it's just it was a really great experience. I learned a lot, um, and I met Kaylin in Yay. Pittsburgh, and she has been a very influential um, colleague and a wonderful friend. And what do I do now? I, I teach a college class at Duquesne. It is an acoustics class, so it's basically like your physics and music. Um, I also I teach at a music studio. Uh, I teach private lessons there, and then I just kind of freelance and play around uh, in the Pittsburgh area and the uh, surrounding the greater Pittsburgh area. So um, it's been a lot of fun, and that's pretty much about me. So about me, uh, my name is Kaylin. I was born and raised here in the Steel City, Pittsburgh, PA. I have not left Pittsburgh. I think that that is a habit of native Pittsburghers <laughs> to kind of nest here and make it our home. I began the oboe in elementary school. Uh, they went alphabetically. I'm an S, so I got the tail end of the stick there. And I got to choose between trombone or oboe. So I started on oboe, which is rare. Um, a lot of people don't typically start on oboe, but I had a knack for it. So I ended up really taking to the instrument. I fell in love. Uh, you know, like many beginners, I passed out the first time that I played it. And yeah, that's, I think everyone has a story that's about right. getting woozy or, you know, hitting the ground when you first pick up the oboe, but I fell in love, worked hard, studied all throughout middle school privately, studied in high school privately, and that led me to my collegiate auditions. And I decided to go to Slippery Rock University of Pennsylvania. It's about an hour north of Pittsburgh. I loved it there. Very small state school. I was one of three oboe majors to begin with, and it stayed that way. It actually got less. So I ended up graduating being one of two, and I loved that experience. So when I auditioned for my master's at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, I was so excited to, you know, move into a larger studio. I think there were six oboists when I got there. I studied with Scott Bell. He is fantastic in the Pittsburgh mm -hmm. Symphony Orchestra. Just, <laughs> yeah, one of the best people, best oboists ever. So <laughs> the opportunity to study with him changed my life in such an amazing way. And I also, as Dylan mentioned, uh, brought Dylan here to Pittsburgh <laughs> because we met at the John Mack Oboe Camp. <laughs> yeah, so J-Mock was hilarious and fun and, mm. and totally worth it. We'll probably do an episode about some experiences there in the future. But um, yeah, so Dylan and I immediately had a kinship, became friends. Mm -hmm. He decided to come to Duquesne to study with Scott as well. And we went into business together to bring all of you read making supplies and reads and mm -hmm. this podcast. Mm -hmm. So I just think it's really important to be able to talk with all of you and to share our experiences. Yeah. So, just have open and honest discussion about reads and yeah. everything oboe. Yeah. And Oh, so what I'm doing now, I am a freelance oboist around the Pittsburgh area. I have played with uh, several world renowned vocalists. I've played with orchestras and um, yeah, I just continue to play because that's what I love to do. And Dylan and I are trying to grow our business mm -hmm. and we're doing this podcast. So uh, stay tuned. We're going to get started here. 
So, reed making. Reed making. Hmm. The beast. <sighs> Sends a shivers down my spine. <laughs> Did you intend that reed pun? The spine? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. We're full of puns here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, it does. It does send shivers down spines. I don't think that, you know, barring the bassoon, I don't think that a lot of musicians understand the fatigue that -hmm. comes along with reed making. And if you're offended by that, I'm sorry, but (laughs) it's true. It's true. And sometimes it's, it can be, uh, kind of hard when you're playing in a, in a group or a gig or something. And, you know, the conductor or just people to understand that, Oh, you might just have a really a bad read day, or your box of reads—they're just not cooperating like they did a couple hours ago because they changed the weather, the weather, humidity, and anything—all those factors. Just because it's living organic material, I was going to so. say it literally is—is is, you know organic material. Right. Cane used to be a plant, so when you think about these fields of cane. And making reeds, it's so bizarre in my head to look down at this small, delicate thing and think, oh my god, this used to be a huge, strong, tall plant Mm -hmm. with roots Mm -hmm. in the ground Mm -hmm. that is now helping me fulfill my dreams. It's very, very strange. It is. And I think it's kind of like, part of the beauty of it is to really remember that and to take it in and think, oh my gosh, each piece is so different. Mm -hmm. There might be one way that I learned how to make reeds, Mm -hmm. but there is not one way to make reeds. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you can be as consistent as possible and do the same amount of scrapes on one side of the reed or the other. But you, you know, I, I haven't had one single time where I've made all my reads exactly the same. You have to adjust them a little bit differently. You might have different batches of cane, whatever. It's just, you just have to know what you're dealing with and just go with the flow and just, yeah, exactly. It's just not going to be the same every time. Yeah. I think (laughs) this reminds me of a story actually. So buckle, buckle your seatbelts, everybody. When I was at Duquesne, we were playing the Italian girl from Algiers And, you know, that is an oboe dense composition. Thanks, Rossini. And I was having a terrible read day. I'm sure everyone listening can relate to that. (laughs) And I go to play the first note of this beautiful cadenza at the beginning. You know, this everyone knows it. And if you don't know it, look it up. There's amazing recordings of it. Um, Anywho, I am trying to embody this beautiful sound, you know, and this beautiful piece of music. blow into my oboe and this massive earth shattering squeak just comes right out of the instrument and of course everyone was, everyone was either, yeah oh, during okay. rehearsal everyone was either shocked oh thank god it was during a rehearsal if it was during a performance <laughs> i would not be i'd be you know six feet under the ground right now 
Um, but everyone was either shocked or laughing. And I look back at the percussion section, forget about it. I mean, they were in tears laughing. And so then I changed reads. The second read was even worse than the first read. Oh, no. Yeah. So I I go to play. It's really bad. And then the faster part later in the piece comes up, the which I tongued all of. And I was so glad I had some strength there. I don't know how I did it. But I said, okay, I'm going to redeem myself. I'm going to redeem myself with this part. And the conductor goes, we're going to move on. We're going to skip it. And that was the hardest pill to swallow in a rehearsal, I think, to date for me. Oh my because it was just so difficult. And, you know, our conductor is a member of the Pittsburgh Symphony. He understands read troubles, not personally, but, you know, from a musician standpoint. And I couldn't just Thank say. Thank goodness. <laughs> I know. I couldn't just say I'm having a bad read day. Um, either that or when I drop my read in the toilet. Before a wind symphony rehearsal, mm. you know, you walk around with them in your mouth, you know, mm. and like it just fell out. I don't know. Do you have any like? I do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, See, give me your details. Okay. In undergrad, we were playing the Sanson Organ Symphony. Amazing. One of my favorite pieces to play. This was. Thank goodness, like you, it was a rehearsal. It wasn't the actual performance. Um, I yeah, had I think a... the read gods look down on you during yeah, performances yeah. more than they do during <laughs> So I had a bunch of reads just sitting on my on my stand. I was going through them, and this was all I had at the time. Um, and I don't remember who it was. Someone walked by, bumped my stand. All my reads fell on the ground, and all of them cracked. <sighs> Each one. I did not have a read. Essentially, I did not have a mouthpiece to play on. My heart. What was I going to do? Luckily, I was friends um, with, you know, my other oboists yeah. in the in the orchestra. Um, I got to borrow a read, but it was still that was very hard because it, I didn't I didn't make it, and you know, and yeah, you can play on other reads, but they're they're different because when you're making them, you're making them for yourself. Isn't that the most and, difficult thing? Yeah. I apologize for the crinkling in the background, by the way. I have a blind cat and she enjoys things that make noise. So she is currently tuning into our podcast like you people and uh, making making a little bit of crinkles. So just ignore that crinkling noise. Anywho, yes. Yeah, so, so I luckily agree. I got to borrow a read. Um, and from second oboe is coming in clutch. Yeah. Oh yeah. She she was great. I I remember she was like, oh my gosh, that's that sucks. And I just asked. I was like, I'm so sorry I have to do this, but do you happen to have a read or two I can borrow? And she was like, yeah, of course. That is just the best. I remember <sighs> one time I was in a rehearsal. My oboe wasn't playing. Person pulled off their read, handed me their oboe, and I played. Oh my! I was like, man, second oboe is coming in clutch. I was so glad, and that's why I really love the relationship that we hone with the oboe community. But you're absolutely right; it goes back into this why this question of people always constantly asking, "Why do you make your own reads? Mm-hmm. Why can't you just go to a store and buy them?" And I think mm-hmm. that this question deserves you know, a little bit of time. So we're going to take a small break here and we're going to come back and and dive right into that. (laughs) 
we left off on the question, why can't you just buy your own REITs? And why do you even make your own? Well, that is a great question. Well, I guess two questions. And I honestly wish I would have known that <laughs> when I was first starting to play the oboe. Um, I was buying oboe reads from the local music store. Um, I That's all I knew. Um, and nothing against local music store reads. No. We are super supportive of everything you do to help beginners. But man, could you imagine if beginning oboists had access to teachers' reads sooner? Yeah, exactly. We'd be it cultivating would, a whole different generation. Yeah, I I agree. It would it would help a lot of different factors like pitch, response, and stability, and and all that. I mean, I I was glad that I was able to start using store bought oboe reeds. Um, I think they're really good if you're just starting and you need, need to get used to what even a reed Anything. feels like or and the sound blowing you know through the reed to make a sound come out of the instrument. Um, but no, I did not know that eventually you would have to make your own <laughs> reads and all the equipment and everything that goes along yeah. with, uh, read making. Um, I started making my own reads in high school, um, when I started taking private lessons and that was very hard. Um, luckily my teacher, um, provided me with a list of materials to get, um, what not to get better brands than others. And so we got all that. Um, let's talk about that real quick, okay. different brands and things like that too. Cause it seems that, you know, us as teachers want to give our students the best reference that we can get and uh, that we can give, excuse me. And I, I'm totally cool with that. Cause I had such a great teacher in high school. But I think that we lose sight of the variations mm -hmm. that go with reed making. For mm -hmm. instance, I was told never to use a beveled knife to make reeds. I mean, right now I love my double hollow ground, but I loved my beveled knife. Yeah, I was never told that. See, it was just get a reed knife. I, I thought it was great. And, <laughs> and so I had no idea there were so many different, different brands of types, reed different knives options and different and right. You know, at first you don't want to overwhelm your students. Right. And I mean, but I think this <laughs> this goes into the question of when do you tell your students all of this information? Right. Well, it, <laughs> it even got to the point where I didn't I didn't even get one of those um, you know, like millimeter ruler. I got an actual like yes, twelve inch ruler. A foot uh, yeah. long. <laughs> Ruler. And I was like literally putting this against like a, a, a reed staple and I'm like, there's got to be an easier wow. way. This can't be No wonder hard. you wear glasses now. No wonder. <laughs> yeah. No wonder. My vision's pretty bad. I love that. But you know what? Yeah. It, it puts it into perspective though, if you think about it. For instance, if we were to do a study and musicians, you know, ask about the intricacies, what we do. Yeah. Put a foot long ruler up next to a millimeter ruler. That, that really brings it into perspective. How minute mm -hmm. the features are in an oboe read and that's, the measurements are so important yeah they're so important and so it's also fascinating to me that some people tie at 47 and a half some people tie at 46 some it's it's kind of beautiful in a way i i really think of reads almost like skin color in the human race there are so many different types all of them are valid all of them are beautiful and it's just it's incredible mm -hmm. so then you think about it and I mean, I think about playing on short scraped reeds and I get nervous. A because shiver down your spine. <laughs> literally, well, they don't even have one, really, you know, and that's that's the thing. I 
I have heard so many oboists play gorgeous on short scraped reeds. Mm-hmm. I go to play one and I sound like a chicken. Mm-hmm. Not even like a duck. A like chicken. A chicken. <laughs> like I go to give the tuning note and it's like, <laughs> instead of an A. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's just fascinating. Well, yeah. And it just goes to show that reeds are so, I guess, individualistic because you have to make them really based on, you know, your anatomical structure and what works for you. We all have, you know, different mouth shapes and sizes. And and that's wild, yeah, too, because yeah. my teacher was brilliant at making reeds. She had very thin lips. And so I have, you know, slightly larger lips. Same. Yeah, I do, too. And my teacher had extremely thin lips. And yeah. she would always tell me that her former teachers always told her that she had the perfect oboe point list. Yeah. And, and I was just like, well, I don't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Kaylin and Dylan sitting over here like, well, yeah, <laughs> we'll make it work. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that it's very interesting to see all of those variations. Mm-hmm. I, when I was first starting out playing English horn, which is a whole different animal, um, I was able to get reads from one of the symphony musicians here. And it was amazing how different his reads were mm-hmm. from my teacher's reads. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they were so thin. Mm-hmm. And when you hear him play them, it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I had the same, I had the same experience when I tried oh. some of Scott's reads. And I was not used to them at all. And it was, it was very hard. But now, today... I make reads very similar to very his. similar, very similar, and there it's just very comfortable. And now I'm very used to a, a thinner, yeah, I guess more easy. Tang. Yeah, and it's not even like easy as no. much as it is soft. It is free blowing, right? And yeah. I think yeah. that is like the number one thing that I advocate mm-hmm. on behalf of mm-hmm. read making is free blowing reads. Why work hard? <laughs> right. And let's, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because I don't think that, you know, that's a term that's thrown around too often as far as read making. And, you know, we all avoid the term bright as right. much as we can, which I think, you know, let's break that stigma because there's nothing wrong with occasionally being bright. If you want to use a different word, I love the word sparkly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like, uh, I tell my students, I tell my students this all the time because this is what Scott taught me um when we're doing scales and they reach those notes above the staff into the higher octave and when they sound really thin and dull because there's not that sparkle or depth yeah the to overtones them. are so right. high at that point right there's just not that that you know sparkle and so you know I, I say to them well how about you think a little brighter on those notes and then they do but then they they always look confused when I say that because they're like but I don't want to sound bright. Exactly. It's but a then, But then they do, and they go to play the scale, and then there's this beautiful death up in the high register. And it shimmers. And, and it shimmers, yes. And so I think, it you know. It resonates. It rings. And that is yeah. so important of a free-blowing read. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to make a read that is literally the density of a small tree, you are going to have to work so hard. Why work harder? You know? <laughs> exactly. I think that's... That's that's it. Like, this is just like oboe yeah. is just kind of hard enough as it is. This so is let's make every wild. factor as easy as possible. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I I need like a brain a brain rest. Let's um, take like a quick minute here.
think picking up where we were just talking about reeds being free-blowing and expressive, being able to, to play how you want them to play, and working very smart as far as remaking, I think the overall point that we've been trying to make in this episode is that everything varies right. between all of us. Yeah, definitely. So we all use different tools. We all have different ways of scraping. We all have different styles of playing, different words that we use to describe those styles. Yeah, different cane preferences. Yeah. So I think, you know, when we talk about reed making, when we talk about playing the oboe, it's it's learning to embrace those differences and not teach our students and also absorb in our brains that there's one way of doing things. Right, definitely. Because there's not. There are multiple ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. I think that makes our culture, you know, different than a lot of other musicians. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's important that you also don't want to stifle a student's voice. You know, make them sound the way they're supposed to sound. Of course, you have to teach them the fundamentals and the basics and whatnot. But then they get to the point where they start really sounding like them, like them, like themselves, and they flourish. I really love how you said that just now because I think about what we said earlier about the reeds being an organic mm -hmm. you know previously living piece of of life and in order to get your students to play the way that they need to you have to play each reed the way that it needs to be played which is well to us and I think the goal is just very free-blowing yeah and you don't want to work too hard <laughs> no not at all and I mean when you're first making a read and you're assessing a piece of cane that piece of cane already has a destiny so trying to each one's different <laughs> trying to scrape a read the same way each time just simply does not work because each piece of cane is different. Some might have short tips, some might have long tips, some might have super long windows, some might have short windows. And this will be something that we really dive into next week. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of to reiterate, of course, striving for consistency is important, but then also realizing, well, you'll probably have to do a few different adjustments to this read compared to the one you just made prior to this and, yeah. and whatnot. And so. I think the ultimate... The ultimate thing is that that's fine. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That works. <laughs> yeah, differences are beautiful. Yes, they are. Okay. I think we're going to take a break. Thanks so much, you guys, for listening to our first episode of Extra Extra. Read all about it. Uh, we're going to wrap up now. Um, <laughs> Another read pun. <laughs> I am not even he realizing that I am <laughs> full, of a, full of the accidental oh read puns today. We might as well get them all out in the first episode. May as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't. Um, yeah. So, anyways, um, th again, thanks so much for tuning in. Tuning. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm gonna take over now. <laughs> So we just are so glad that you guys have listened to this. If you haven't listened to this and you skipped right to the end, shame on you. You missed a lot. I don't know why that would be the case. I don't know. But who knows? You know, oboists are, are an interesting people. So uh, we just wanted to let you know what's coming up in the future. We have some fun things ahead as far as the history of the oboe, some read-making facts, uh, different types of interviews and, and excerpts. excerpts. Yeah fun things that are happening um 
But yeah, I think, you know, give our website a check out. Yep, at www.21stcenturyids.com. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at 21st Century Reads. Um, All right, guys. Uh, Thanks so much, and I hope you tune in next time. Next time, which will be next Sunday evening, we will post another podcast. It's going to be called The Rising of the Reeds. (laughs) So we look forward to seeing you then. 